This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of September 28th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. The process for designing and upgrading interstates in Indiana hasn't exactly been what you'd call a two-way street. Typically, the Indiana Department of Transportation draws up plans for its projects, and then the public has an opportunity to provide feedback. You will call the uproar in 2017 when INDOT presented its plans for reconstructing the North Split, where I-70 and I-65 meet in the northeast corner of downtown. Nearby residents were vehemently against some elements of the project and proposed a fundamentally different alternative. INDOT was able to accommodate the Rethink 6570 Coalition's concerns on some aspects of the project, but it proceeded largely as originally proposed. Now, as the state begins to plan for future upgrades to other portions of I-65 and I-70 that run through Indianapolis, it's conducting a long-term study to get public input on the front end of the process. Piloted in part with the infrastructure firm HNTB, the Propel Indy study is collecting public input in a wide variety of venues to identify ideas for improvements that would impact quality of life, economic growth, mobility, and safety. The construction of I-65 and I-70 through downtown in the 1960s and 1970s is still a sensitive topic for the city. The new infrastructure ended up displacing at least 17,000 residents, many of them people of color. It divided or separated longstanding urban neighborhoods, and it led to the demolition of at least 8,000 buildings. There are no impending projects for the upgrades and modernization of these interstates. This public input is supposed to help shape the vision for investments in these roadways over the next 20 years. In this week's episode, we are joined by Tim Miller, Senior Project Manager for HNTB and the Project Manager for the Propel Indy Study, as well as Natalie Garrett, Communications Director for INDOT. In addition to discussing the process so far, they share some of the ideas they've heard related, for example, to signage, the location of interchanges, pedestrian right-of-way, and the way these corridors represent, or fail to represent, the city as a whole. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Tim Miller, Senior Project Manager for HNTB and the Project Manager for the Propel Indie Study. Thanks for making time today. Thank you, Mason. I'm glad to be here. And we're joined by Natalie Garrett, Communications Director for the Indiana Department of Transportation. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Let's first identify the portions of interstate that this process is focusing on. Sorry to give you geography so early in this, but (laughs) (laughs) what is the, uh, how do we describe what portions of interstate we're talking about? So, Mason, we are evaluating and looking at uh, I-65 and I-70 within the 465 loop, with the exception of the recently constructed north split limits and a section of I-65 from just south of the south split to 465. Everything else on 65 and 70 are within the limits of this study. Is there a particular reason why that that portion south of Prospect is is not on the table? Yes, uh, that part of the study, it's already being studied on a different type of study. And so we did not want to have concurrent studies looking at the same thing. So 
that is the reason why that element of the limits are not under this study. So again, yeah, let's give the listeners, especially folks outside of central Indiana, the context of I-65 and I-70 inside the I-465 loop. And the loop is 465 basically is the is the boundary of the city of Indianapolis. I think we can agree. When were these uh, interstates built? Or these portions of that are inside the loop? Yeah, many of these portions of I-65 and I-70 are over 40 years old. There are elements just near the 65 and 70 interchange on the north side of Indianapolis that were opened up to traffic in 1973, 1974. So some of that construction took place um, more than 40 years ago. And so that's one of the reasons why, as we looked that we're gonna modernize those interstates is, is one of the premise uh, foundations of this study. So much of the interstate, especially in the downtown area, were constructed in the late 1960s and early 70s, and then opened up 73, 74, with other sections of the interstate opening up in the middle to later part of the 1970s. And then they also, they circle around downtown Indianapolis, at least on three sides. They kind of skirt the outskirts, of, if you will, downtown Indianapolis. I had a question about, about the word modernize. Big word. So when we talk about modernizing the roadway, what all might that entail? So some of the things we're talking about modernizing are really just setting a vision of what people may define modernizing a current day interstate might be. We're not necessarily looking at added travel lanes, but we need to look at how that interstate is going to uh, fit into a community, how we can modernize it so that we can implement potential solutions that would address the needs that we will identify over the next 20 to 40 years. It could be additional green space, it could be um, additional noise mitigation, it could be uh, it could be additional aesthetics, make them more visually appealing. So when we're thinking about modernizing, it's how do we make sure and how do we incorporate ideas and a vision that would bring those interstates up to today's standards in order to improve the quality of life and livability, economic growth and opportunity, and the mobility of which we all use on a daily basis. Yeah, so there are various various parts, um, sections, structures um, along those sections of interstate um, that are coming up on their on the end of their service life. You know, each each piece of infrastructure has kind of an expected service life, and NDOT is you know maintaining those over time um, through through various construction and maintenance activities. So there's we're looking at this area, realizing that it's going to be time to rehabilitate, to to modernize. Yeah. So it is not just like, hey, what can we add here that would be good for the communities, but also they need to be maintained. And that's part of the process is looking at, you know, physically, how does this infrastructure need to be, call it fixed, uh, renovated, what have you. Now, the construction of these interstates was a really sensitive topic for the city because they ended up displacing, I mean, somewhere on the lines of like 17,000 residents. They divided or separated some longstanding urban neighborhoods, led to the demolition of at least 8,000 buildings. So I'm assuming that, that is why there are elements of the Propel Indy process that focus specifically on equity, for example, and, and quality of life. Yeah, and there's, uh, it's, it's one of our four pillars, equity is, and everything that we do during the next couple of years on this study, we want to be equitable, not only in our engagement 
of engaging this, the community, but also thinking about the solutions and options that we have um, to make, to modernize those interstates. We do know that the way we planned and constructed interstates in the 1960s and the 1970s is probably not the way we would do it today, Mason. And so this is an opportunity for us, a, a unique opportunity to look at some of these options that we can do to reconnect some of those communities, to um, enhance the connectivity, not only of communities, but of, of the, of the you know, multimodal and other facets of transportation. So obviously that is a very intentional focus point for us on that study and something that we're hoping we can get a lot of engagement and, and a lot of ideas for. So outline for me the process, the Propel Indies study process. Where, uh, how has it started to where are we right now and where are we going? So the process is really, we have, we are right now at the very early stages. We're in what we call a visioning stage. Um, and that visioning stage is, is really soliciting some big ideas from the community on how we modernize these interstates. And these big ideas are not necessarily big dollar ideas, but they may be a big idea to a community, to a neighborhood, to some other community. And when we talk about community, we're not actually talking about, we're not necessarily only talking about residential communities. There's business communities and, and there's a lot of different communities. But thinking about from a vision standpoint, how do we want those interstates to fit within the fabric of our communities. How do we how do we fit those into the series of neighborhoods so that we can work together and and really improving the quality of life and things that we just talked about. So those are some of our early thoughts over the next several months. Um, we then go into we eventually get into some alternatives that we can after hearing from the public in the in the various communities come up with some alternatives. And then at the end of the when study, you say alternatives. Alternatives yeah. to what? Alternatives could be of, of ways that we could modernize. Uh, it oh, okay. could be different techniques, different things that we need to think about to put in a playbook for future projects. The goal out of here, we don't have any projects that are preconceived at this, at this time. So we talked about, as Natalie mentioned, we know we're going to have to modernize these just because they are reaching their design life. But this gives us an opportunity about how we do that in a more controlled manner and a more timely to take some time to think about, let's think through this. Let's get the engagement going um, so that at the end of the study, we can have some potential, we can have some options that we then carry forward into a formal environmental uh, evaluation stage. This is a planning study that we're over the next couple of years, and it will identify those potential solutions that we can construct maybe in 5, 10, 20 years. But this really gives us a framework on how to begin that. Gotcha. So there's no like impending construction project that you're collecting information for. That is correct. But it's to give you a set of scenarios or guidelines for what could be done when you need to do maintenance. And that is the non-traditional part of this yeah. study, <laughs> Mason, because I we are pretty much accustomed to bringing alternatives out to the public and saying, this is what our plan is, or these are some options. What is your reaction? This is a unique opportunity where we're taking a step prior to that and say, what are your ideas and what are your visions so that we can develop some options based on that? So if this is not um, something that the Indiana Department of Transportation is is going more forward to, and Natalie can talk about that in a minute. But this is this is really we don't have any projects to find you right now. But this will help identify and come up with those projects. 
Yes, definitely. Um, it's a bit of a different approach than I think um, people are used to. As Tim mentioned, they are more accustomed to, you know, NDOT coming to them with, we're going to build a roundabout here. You know, this is this is our project. Tell us what you think. Tell us, give us your feedback. So we're coming to the public at a much earlier stage in the planning process to identify those needs, those trends, you know, how can we, how can we modernize and improve infrastructure to meet the needs um, of the community? So you, you could get information here that would inspire a project. For example, not just something that you would tack on to a regular maintenance project could be like, you know, maybe we really do need to do maybe we need to move this exit because, you know, we got so much feedback from people. Maybe that is something we just need to do. And that could be its own project. Yeah. So um, blank slate, you know, at this point we're visioning. We are taking in any and all feedback and comments, you know, that we're hearing from various groups, individuals um, in the community, and, you know, we'll move forward in the process. So this, as you say, I mean, this is a new strategy, if you will, a new way of, of approaching how to deal with our interstate system. Did this, at least in part, come out of the pushback that NDOT got from the North Split Project when uh, the neighbors there felt like, you know, you know, this is so late in the process, we can't give you any any really any feedback that is going to you know substantially change this project? Yeah, so NDOT's looking at a variety of new, more innovative ways to engage with the community, um, whether it's regarding you know a specific project or more of a planning study. Um, we do have a couple other Pell studies um, in the works in the state. Um, oh, we, as in Pro Pell. Yeah, Pro Pell. <laughs> what does Pell see, mean? See what we did there. Um, planning <laughs> and environmental linkage study. Okay. Um, so you know it's you know, an official term, if you will, you know, play on words there. Um, we have Pell studies in the works on US 30 and 31 up in the northern part of the state. And we also completed one um, up on the Borman in northwest Indiana as well, um, looking at some innovative traffic management concepts there. So am I right in intuiting that this is somehow a reaction, at least in part, to kind of what happened with the uh, the North Split project, or what did this happen anyway? Yeah, I think over time we've seen that the public wants to be involved earlier on. So I think this is a way that um, we can engage them earlier on in the process. So the paths of these interstates through Indianapolis, I mean, they're already like a part of the fabric of the city. I mean, they've become part of the fabric of the city and things have grown up around them and they've, you know, guided how development is, has worked. I assume if you follow the same paths, you're not going to need to displace any residents or demolish any buildings. Is, is that still a concern that you're hearing from people or people like, you know, how is future work going to affect my neighborhood? Is it possible, you know, that uh, that you're just you're going to clear out, you know, three blocks here? So in the last two months, we have probably had more than 25 events, whether it's visiting street festivals, homeowner associations, presenting to rotary clubs, asking for feedback. Um, and in that time, we've had over 600 comments and suggestions. Now, some of them, many of them are the same. But Mason, one of the things that we are hearing is when we, you know, there's some trends on what we're hearing. And, and some of the ideas that we're hearing is things like lighting, making sure that we have LED lighting that is directional down and not, you know, the as it goes out. There are things about making sure our interstates are clean, making sure they're good wayfinding or signage. Um, so that when people get off a ramp 
they don't get lost in a neighborhood, that with very good directions about getting back on the on-ramps or off-ramps. We've heard things about, like I said, the aesthetics. We've heard things that when you think about our have we've had a couple suggestions about let's look at the interchange placements and in, at interchanges downtown just because if we think about when those interchanges were designed and when the locations of those were determined in the late 1960s, early 1970s, do they still function the way they're supposed to today? Do they still serve our economic community the, the way they should? Think about the economic development that we're seeing right here in downtown Indianapolis right now with the major development. I mean, there are cranes downtown, things just on the north you know, if you go up 65 and 70 with the new healthcare campuses and things like that, it's let's let's think about creating that vision of what's really going to, you know, connect that. Are there opportunities where we can connect in to construct some pedestrian underpasses or connectivity? Let's make sure that if we're replacing a bridge on an interstate that the that that bridge does not impede uh, pedestrian trails or bicycle uh, lanes, not on the interstate, but below. So we're making sure that we understand and focus on not what is only happening up top, but how does that impact or how does that complement things below so that we can keep our transportation grid complete and as, as connected as possible. So rarely have we heard uh, we need more lanes. I will just say we're not hearing that. We're, we're thinking in more creative you know, bolder things about how do we use what we have and maybe repurpose it and or enhance it or modernize it so that we can enhance that experience. And you mentioned the experience, thinking about the experience as we we attract residents, not only in this state, but on in a city every single day, whether they're coming in via I-65 or I-70 or the airport. What is that experience like when they're taking that trip from the airport to downtown? What is that experience from the motorists coming from eastern Indiana into our community or from western or from the north or to the south? Those types of conversations are really what people are starting to gravitate to because that is that's a quality of life issue. That gives a perception and starts to create that image of our community, not just an image of the community, but it also begins to establish how do we connect people, neighborhoods, businesses, intermodal activities. And so, you know, we're, we're sure we're looking at the interstate system itself, but we're looking on how that builds that overall fabric and how all this fits together. So I don't know if that hopefully that sort of addresses what you're going to, but that's the thinking that we are carrying out to the public and things that we're just now starting to get some feedback on, getting those creative ideas and visioning to our attention. Yeah, a lot of that makes sense to me. I mean, a lot of the things that generate traffic downtown were not here 40 or 50 years ago. You have Lucas Oil Stadium. The Lilly Campus has got to be much, much bigger than it was 40 or 50 years ago. And yeah, and, and those those exits, for example, off of, of 70 uh, that head into downtown, I mean, were, were designed for a different Indianapolis, essentially. So is it possible, for example, that you could you could change intersections, you could move exits? That is a, Sure, it's possible. Um, I don't know whether that's the, what's the community wants or right. our stakeholder wants. And that's sort of what we're saying, as Natalie mentioned, everything's on the table, including the access. Maybe we refine it. Maybe we enhance it. Maybe we modify it. 
uh, but we are starting to think about, and, and the business community is starting to get us some ideas as well, um, to making sure that I mean, we are the crossroads of America right here. And how do we not only maintain that, but how do we enhance that to remain economically competitive in the marketplace, not only here in Central Indiana, but also as a state and as a region for the Midwest. Um, so yeah, all of that is on the table. Again, let me reiterate, there are no projects like that yeah. program, <laughs> right. but that's something that this conversation is starting to address and start have people thinking about what if or what about this. So these wouldn't necessarily be cosmetic changes. These could be, I mean, structural changes to the interstate system, potentially. Could be. If that's the feedback you get. It could yes. be. Yes. And further down the, down the way, um, Tim mentioned, you know, we would start to identify um, some of these potential alternatives. Um, and then, you know, we'd take it a step further, put on our lens of, you know, engineering, feasibility, um, you know, a financial kind of screening, if you will, you know, seeing what makes sense from those perspectives as well. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right. We're back with the IBJ podcast and our conversation this week with Tim Miller and Natalie Garrett about the new way the state of Indiana is gathering public input for future interstate upgrades inside of I-465. If I may, now I'm going to give you my own. <laughs> I'm going to give you my input. I can't tell you how many times that I have flown back into Indianapolis from other city. And, and so my brain is already thinking, I'm comparing Indianapolis to the city I've just been to. And that trip in on I-70 often is about as depressing as it gets. I mean, that section of road, I, I know that people have been looking at that for a long time. Some people have done a lot alongside the roads to make it better. But uh, I've, I've always felt, and I don't know how you're going to fix it, that we could present ourselves in a much better way. I mean, that potentially could be something that you could look at. Absolutely. And we're already starting to get ideas on that. And as Natalie mentioned, you know, these are bold, bold ideas. Um, one of the things that we are going to be looking at is once we develop these bold ideas, they may be low dollar ideas. And let me give you an example. We were with a neighborhood a couple of weeks ago, very culturally significant neighborhood. Um, and they were asking if we could get some signage along the interstate just to bring awareness of that interstate traveler that we are here, gives them a sense of place, give them a sense of community. That would be a, something on the interstate that would be really low impact, low cost. That, that was an idea we had. And can we do that in other areas? And obviously there are, we need to make sure that we comply with signage requirements and, and all that. But that was a bold idea to that community that wasn't necessarily a, a high dollar, but it was bold to them. One of, as there are others, that when we think about, you know, significant signature bridges in the area, uh, we all been have seen communities either on national television broadcast or uh, pictures of some iconic architectural structure that really defines who that city is or who defines what that community is. Those all take dollars and one of our responsibilities and what we will be doing is once we come up with some options, 
we get into the financial feasibility of that. And traditionally, those types of infrastructure projects and or initiatives are funded through the traditional highway trust fund or the gas tax. But there are things that we can start looking at is maybe there are other partnering opportunities for a certain area of the state or for the certain area of the city. Maybe there's a public-private partnership. Maybe there's grant opportunities. Maybe there's there's a whole other flood of financing options that we will look at instead of just the traditional. Because at the end of the day, NDOT and the state of Indiana only has so much money, but there are other partnering opportunities where we can look to say, look, we need a plan. However, we we need to make sure we do a very comprehensive study and engagement so that when we are looking for potential funding options, we can say, look, this is this is really a grassroots, organic, planning-driven option that has a lot of support or not. And uh, th- this isn't just something that was originated out of a in an office in a corner. And so that's sort of, Mason, I think that's the thinking of and the intent of this Propel study. So when we talk about uh, gathering public input, I know there are many different ways that you're doing that. What are some of the some of the sources of public input? Yeah, so most recently, um, as Tim mentioned, we have been out in the community um, attending HOA meetings, um, community festivals, um, things like that. We've been promoting um, on our social pages ways that people can get involved. We have a comment form on the website. We have social media pages. You know, we're doing things like this. We're getting on the podcast or, you know, sharing with media um, about the study to get the word out on how people can get involved and get engaged at this point in the project. And I would assume, I mean, you're spreading the net in terms of residents, I mean, all along the path of the interstate. I mean, it's, it's not just just downtown or it's not just on the northwest side? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the study area, of course, is more focused, you know, in the heart of Indianapolis. But, you know, we're also looking for feedback for people who commute in and out of the city each day, who travel to Indiana or Indianapolis, you know, frequently. Um, you know, maybe they have family that live here. You know, we're, we're looking for any and all ideas, feedback, you know, whether it's residents, travelers, business community, faith community, you know, trying to be all encompassing. So I, I've been a reporter in, in several different cities, uh, usually covering city hall or real estate. And I've, I've been a part of a lot of, of public imaging sessions. So whoever is hosting the public imaging session leaves with a giant vat of ideas. What we always see at some point is that those ideas go into a funnel and they kind of get flattened and some of the more outside the box ideas get lost. How do you keep that from happening in this process? One of the one of our core goals um, on this study for the study team is transparency. And uh, as we collect these comments, as we collect suggestions, um, we are going to be posting those what people have given us on our website and other social platforms so that if you, so that gets back to the group think type of mentality, that idea may spur somebody else to give an idea. 
So I think it's a great question, um, but from the transparency standpoint, starting next month and well, here just a couple of days in September, we'll be posting what people have been telling us over the last four to six weeks on their ideas and their visioning. So, and hopefully that will prompt ideas. Um, it may prompt either an idea, it may prompt a, a bold initiative that someone thinks we need to go, or it may prompt somebody to say, hey, look, I would like that team to come out and talk to my group or organization about what they're doing. So. That transparency element and that pillar is going to be very important for us. And, and we recognize this. We're just getting started on this. We just started the 1st of June. So, um, and again, having over 600 comments is something that we're very proud of. And it tells that there's a there's an appetite to provide those types of ideas. Um, and, and the appetite is not only from the communities, from residentials, but from business, from trade organizations, from whatnot, because... At the end of the day, the the interstates influence so many parts of our lives, whether it's a daily commute or a job or employment centers or, you know, mode of transportation for somebody to get to work. Um, and so that transparency is going to be very important for us. And that will that's something we've maintained and committed to for the next couple of years. Over the years, I mean, there already has been a lot of suggestions for, for what to do with these interstates. I'm assuming that information also is being collected as part of this. That is correct. And and specifically, I'm thinking about the study that I think Rethink 6570 did and released a couple of years the ago. Arab study. Yeah, where they uh, – it was a pretty elaborate study with an idea where they would recess uh, the interstates, at least through the downtown area, and then you would, which would allow you to build on top of – those recessed areas if you wanted to create parks or more land for development. Uh, is that something that is going to go into the bucket with everything else? Something you're going to look seriously at? Yes. Uh, that is something that, yeah, we're taking everything. And matter of fact, we, the Rethink Coalition, we are um, meeting with them on a regular basis, hearing their ideas, hearing their their suggestions. Um, and we're going to um, listen to that and consider all those options. So yes, Mason, that is something that's completely on the table and something that will be you know, putting in our, our list of ideas. And that is something when you think about bold ideas, that is, you know, you have high impact, high dollar, you know, high impact, low dollar, but that's obviously there's a financial component of that we'll have to evaluate. But that is something that certainly we're not going to dismiss. We're not dismissing any idea. So yeah, and I, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, just just about the, the financial side of it, because one one of my initial questions was, I mean, in the end, aren't you only able to do what your budget allows you to do? But it sounds like you're, you're saying that uh, in addition to whatever money you get from the state, that there are other sources of funding that you could pursue, uh, you know, to do things that are maybe more than what the legislature is willing to pay for. Yeah. And I think that's something that we got to think about. Let's identify what those needs are first. Let's come up with a cost of what that need would cost to finance. And then let's come up and evaluate, is that cost feasible? Uh, but again, thinking about there's, there's a lot of temptation to say, what is your budget or how much is that going to cost? And and again, we're go this is a little non-traditional. We're going back and say, okay, what are we trying to build first? <laughs> Let's identify that need first, and then we'll figure out what it costs, and then we'll figure out the financial feasibility of it. How how does this work, Natalie? <laughs> when we have does the legislature approve money and then the NDOT go out and figure out what can we do with it? Or does NDOT go to the legislature and say, we need X amount of money to do this? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I mean, this is totally outside my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would say I think it's a kind of in some ways, it's a combination of the two. I mean, NDOT is planning 
five, 10 years out. You know, we're projecting funds that far out as well. Next Level Roads, that plan um, set forth by Governor Holcomb um, has put NDOT in a great position looking forward um, as far as planning um, what needs to be done and how we accomplish that. You know, that, that was a 20-year plan with funding up front, you know, to maintain what we have, complete major projects, um, you know, move forward and improve infrastructure in Indiana. So I think that positions us really well to maintain infrastructure, not only just in Indianapolis, but across the entire state. So again, uh, no projects on the table yet. And these are things that could happen five years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now or 20 years from now. And, and that is not an unusual time frame when we're talking about highways. Yes. I mean, even, you know, looking at a specific project, you know, it takes three, five, seven years for that project just to be developed, you know, from where it begins to get it even just to construction. You know, we're constantly planning, looking ahead, maintaining, again, maintaining what we have, making improvements along the way, all the way up to, you know, more major projects like I-69 finish line, North Split, Clear Path, things like that. So the public input phase will continue until when? Actually, it'll be throughout the next couple of years, throughout the entire study. What we're asking is that if we could have some of these big visioning ideas submitted to us by the end of September, that gives us somewhat of an artificial date that we can say, all right, what are we hearing? What are the trends? What do we, we can use that to start developing and identifying the needs that we have. So not only are we identifying and asking the public what, what they would uh, create a, as a vision. We are looking at traffic numbers. We're looking at crash data. We're looking at a bunch of existing conditions that we can then supplement what the what the public is telling us based on hard data. Um, and that's just regular design data or traffic data so that we can start thinking about where the interstate's moving, movement's going. We look at potential development. And the, that way, we, we get a much more comprehensive plan and, and really start identifying the needs because we need a purpose, a need of what we're trying to attempt to solve. So don't wait. I mean, don't wait, oh, for, no, no, don't wait no. for you guys to come to my local library. No, absolutely not. I mean, go yeah. ahead and, and- Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, jump on the website, propelindy.com. There's a comment form there. We're also on social media. Yeah, those are great ways to get involved now. You know, the September 30th date, you know, it's not a not a hard cutoff. You know, that date comes. We're not we're not accepting comments. We're not that that's not the case. Um, you know, we just needed kind of a, a stopping point, if you will, so we can continue to move forward, um, start identifying those trends, keep the study going, if you will. Gotcha. So then the next step again is is what? Really to start thinking about using that that information that we're collecting and start assessing where those needs are. You know, we are in, we've earned some gathering stage right now. So in addition to asking the the public to uh, provide us their vision, we're in some information gathering stages with the traffic, with crashes, trying to identify trends of what may need improvement in the next 5, 15, 20 years. So Identify, that next phase would be identifying the needs of what, what we're seeing and hearing. And then following up next year and actually developing some alternatives of how we would address those needs. Right. So the point at which that we would be able to see some scenarios, for example, when would that be? Next summer. Next summer. Oh, okay. Wow. And then from there, more comment, more input. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then and then from there, who knows? 
Correct. Okay, then until uh, let's let's just say let's pencil in a year from now. Great. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mason. Thank you. My thanks again to Tim Miller and Natalie Garrett. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest print edition of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, 17 Indiana companies are helping NASA return astronauts to the moon and to achieve even grander goals after that. Susan Orr spotlights the firm supporting the Artemis program. Also in this week's issue, Taylor Wooten reports that Central Indiana employers are increasingly relying on new hires with criminal records to fill open positions amid the nationwide worker shortage. And Mickey Shuey has the latest on the burgeoning North Mass District, northeast of downtown, which is rehabilitating its reputation as a post-industrial eyesore. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. I will say that it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And that works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week. <laughs>